I want to welcome you back this evening and appreciate those of you who have journeyed back out to join us as we continue our Sunday night series called God's Amazing Grace. And we're looking at how his grace was poured out through different characters, different stories of the Old and New Testament. We're currently in the New Testament in the book of John. And if you're following along in your Bibles, I hope you'll turn to John chapter 4 as we uh, enter into our study tonight. This morning we talked about the love of God and how that affects us and how we can not only receive God's love, but also share God's love and show God's love. And as our small group this evening, we were talking about that and the idea that God's love is without limit. God's love is uh, just unending and relentless and ever-pursuing and all-patient and all of these things that you and I are not. My love, if I'm honest, and your love too, has limits. Uh, you think your love doesn't have limits, uh, just wait till someone asks you if they would help you move a piano. You have to think about it for just a minute. You have to think how much do I love this person and care about their well-being to help them or can I come up with some other uh, reason that I will be unable to help them uh, but go and be warm and well-fed? Our love has limits to it. And the more we mature in Christ, um, the better we get at removing the limits. The world has lots of, of, of limits. And, and, you know, Jesus said, if, if you love those who love you, what reward is there in that? Even the tax collectors do that. Okay? Uh, there are corrupt politicians who love each other because they're all sort of in the same game. Uh, there are drug dealers who love each other and they associate and they enjoy being around each other because they, they're in the same, they, they love those who love them, you see? And so there's people from all walks of life that love, but there's limits to it. The danger is when we Allow that to happen in Christianity. And so we always have to point ourselves back, reorient ourselves back toward Jesus and think about how he loved and how his love surpassed the normal human parameters and limits of the day. And how, if he were here today, and how his people are to go outside the limits and the normal parameters as we grow and mature, we learn to do that. John chapter 4, John describes, the apostle of love describes Jesus' interaction with someone. And that someone, on, in normal, human, worldly perspective, there was, a, there was limitations to that conversation. The first is that she was a woman. Okay? And in that culture... Uh, a male, certainly a male rabbi, uh, did not stoop down, as they would view it, to discussing with a woman. And they viewed that differently than we do in our culture. But Jesus surpassed that. Okay? He, he passed that human limit. Second, secondly, she was a Samaritan. Okay? They had the, this religious limitation. And there was differences, certainly, between the Jews and Samaritans. Differences is putting it very lightly. 
uh, a split that had occurred all the way back to the split between the northern and southern kingdom. And when Samaria was a city, it was kind of the second capital, uh, if you will, of Israel. Uh, later on, the, the, the differences become so divergent uh, that the Samaritans decided not to engage in the worship of Yahweh at the temple at Jerusalem, instead to form their own temple on Mount Gerizim. Uh, the Jews considered the Samaritans to be heretics and vice versa. It was a, it was a big deal. Um, you know, the, the two things you're not supposed to discuss in polite company, right? Politics and religion, okay? Uh, uh, th- this was a big religious limitation, okay? Not only did men not associate with women, but Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. And the third limitation is that this woman was a, an outcast. She had been living sinfully uh, by any way you measure it, according to both the Jews and the Samaritans. She had messed up five times and was currently living with the guy. And that created a lot of, I'm sure, estranged relationships and strained friendships. And so this woman really didn't want to be around people because she wanted to avoid the awkwardness that surely was just bubbling underneath. And these two people, a Savior, a rabbi, Lord, with unlimited love, and a woman, a Samaritan, who was deep in sin, and with lots of reasons why Jesus should have ignored her, happened to have their paths cross. And this is, a, this is a specific example of how love works. Now, one other little side note here. This conversation that we know, because you know John calls it that, the woman we don't even know. It's just the woman at the well. We don't know her name. We only know her by the place where Jesus met her. I think that's significant because all throughout the book of John, uh, we see these, these momentous occasions that occur around water. In fact, if you back up and get real perspective and look at the Bible, there are a number of hugely transformational events that occur within the realm of water. The first, obviously, the best known and, and the, 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 the mag- backdrop of many a, a nursery for a newborn is Noah's Ark, which is a terrible story if you love children. But they don't know that. They just know the animals. Uh, that water... That destroyed the world, Peter said, of that time, changed it completely. We can't even begin to imagine what this world used to be like back in the day, pre-flood. In my study of it, it was a whole different kind of world, perfect in every single way. But God saw that sin was a problem and needed to change things. And so he brought forth the water, which radically reshape the world that we live in. Water was transformational with Moses and the Israelites at the Red Sea. Before they were officially the Israelites, they were not a nation. 
But they were leaving as slaves and going through the water. And Paul would later say they were baptized in that moment. They were transformed from slaves to free people. Now, there's lots of examples of that. We can think of those in John. And even in the Gospel of John, we see these transformational moments happening in the water. Baptizing. John the Baptist began ushering in the kingdom and preparing the way for Jesus by baptizing people in the Jordan River. Transformation was about to occur. A new kingdom was coming in, one like they did not ever, they couldn't even conceive what the upside-down kingdom of Jesus was going to be like. And John the Baptist, his message, of course, is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus tells a teacher that no one can be have life with God unless... They are born of both the water and the spirit. Jesus' first miracle, of course, was changing water, the common drink of the time, to wine, another common drink of the time, from from what was common to what was far better. So a few examples of transformational change happening around the water. Jesus turns... The water to wine. Jesus healed an invalid man at the pool. There's all of these moments where water is a part of powerful change, dramatic change. And so with that in mind, I guess one more example. Uh, Right before his death, Jesus used the water to shift what they understood about leadership. And indeed, what we understand, Jesus used water to teach about service and how servants are really the leaders in the kingdom of God. Not to be like the Gentiles who lord power over others and and who boss others around, tell them what to do. It's different. There's a different mindset in servant leadership. Jesus uses water in transformational ways. And so is the same tonight as we go into John chapter 4. And we're going to look at the whole chapter because why not? Let's be ambitious. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was going and that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Okay, John's making a point here that early uh, first century Jews certainly would have taken note of. Oh, he had to go through the rough part. The Jews might have called it. Most likely, Jesus is wanting to avoid trouble with John's disciples. This is this whole thing about John's disciples baptizing. Jesus is growing in popularity. Uh, and, of course, the increasing scrutiny of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so Jesus decides to leave Judea and go back to Galilee. To do that, he has to go through Samaria. If you're not familiar with biblical geography, this is a way I used to explain it to teenagers It's really weird, which is why it helps you to remember it. If you just imagine the area of Palestine and divide it roughly into thirds and just use the letters G 
at the very top, S in the middle, and J at the bottom. Just remember, got some jello. Okay? You've got Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. Now, don't remember that. Never just forget that, that I told you that. But, but that helps you get an idea of what's happening. Jesus is going from Judea, from Jello, all the way up to Got. And to do that, he has to pass through some to get there. Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. As we said, Samaria was uh, uh, this, this region, this happened because of the split in the northern and the southern kingdom. Uh, Samaria, the town, was the first capital in the northern kingdom. And the Samaritans had, had split everything up and changed the temple worship and all of that. They're going to talk about that here in a minute. Um, verse 6, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Uh, Jacob's well is referred to in Genesis chapter 48, verse 22. We're in John tonight. I'm not going to go there, but if you want to look that up, this is a well-known well. In fact, did some study on it. In fact, it's still in use today. The word that he uses there for the word well indicates a hand-dug well that went way down, and it was spring-fed. So that's why it's still in use today. Uh, This would have been about a half a mile south of what is modernly called a scar. Okay? It's not called um, Sychar anymore. Um, but this, we can, you can go to the well where Jesus talked to the woman. Now, we're introduced to a woman who is seeking one thing, and that is liquid. At least on the surface, that's what's, what she is seeking. We're going to read John chapter 4, verses, uh, starting verse 7 now. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, but I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that ask you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus, being in the flesh, sits down. He's weary, he's tired, and certainly thirsty. It's interesting to me that to show limitless love, Jesus took on physical limits. We and you and I take that for granted. We 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 take for granted that if, if I preach long enough, your body's going to fight tiredness. That, that on the way out of here tonight, you might get a drink of water. Some of you have a drink of water with you. Uh, those are limitations that are con- created by the flesh. Jesus had not had those limitations prior to the incarnation. That he takes on these limits is a beautiful statement of how much he, how far he would go to show his love for us. Along comes a Samaritan woman. She's coming to the well alone about noon at a time when you normally wouldn't go out to get water. The example I use in thinking about this is that when I mow the lawn in the heat of the summer, I usually try to do it either in the morning or in the evening. Makes sense to do it then because it's hot at noon. You don't go out and mow your lawn at noon unless you just absolutely have to and there's no other way around it. 
she was out at the well at noon for a reason, because most of the time when women, who were the main people who drew the water in that culture, when the women went to draw the well, the water from the well, they went in the morning and they went in the evening, and they didn't go alone. They went in groups. It was sort of a social thing. I know that doesn't happen today. I know women do not uh, ever go out in social groups engaging in a task to and, and go together to make a social group out of it. But back in that culture, they did, you see. Jesus broke rigid social customs and asked her for a drink of water. She comes to the well in the heat of the day for a reason, to avoid people, to avoid the crowd, to avoid the judgmental glances, the whispers, um, just to avoid any problems. You ever, you ever do that? You probably haven't, but you might know people who have, who just to avoid an awkward moment and an awkward conversation will intentionally go out of their way to not be around people that might make them feel awkward or uncomfortable. And little did she know she was going to meet Jesus, who was really good at making people feel awkward and uncomfortable in a, in a good way. This woman was parched in many ways, but it had nothing to do with her physical thirst. Socially, she was parched. She was a woman. She had, had several husbands. Uh, none of those worked out. She was living together with a guy. She was spiritually parched. She was a Samaritan. The Jews considered her an outcast. Emotionally, she was parched. She was exhausted and ashamed. And the last thing she wanted to do was go with a bunch of women to the well to draw water and talk about anything else. So to avoid that, she comes at noon by herself, hoping to meet no one. And relationally, she was parched. She was isolating herself. Most people have been there. A few of us are there or have been there. And, and interestingly enough, that she self-identifies the problem. Sir, the well is deep and you have nothing to draw with. When you are thirsty, now, and I'm not talking about physical thirst, when you have a spiritual thirst, you will grow desperate enough to drink anything that you think would quench. And she had. And it hadn't been successful. And she had a thirst in her that was deeper even than Jacob's well could go. She didn't know it, but her thirst was about to bring her to a man who could change everything. And so Jesus offered her life. John chapter 4, verse 13 through 26. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will be, uh, will come... Become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me the water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw the water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. This changes the conversation. Her eyes glance downward, her head bows just a little bit, and sheepishly she says, I have no husband. Remember what I said about Jesus 
having that ability to, to get right to the heart of the matter. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you have now is not even your husband. What you have said now, what you have said is quite true. In, the, in this moment, I need you to picture her head bowed down, not wanting to make eye contact, not knowing how this man figured out who she was and the story of all things. This is the last thing in the world she wanted to talk about. And as he continues right to the elephant in the room, I mean, he just barrels through all of the polite conversations straight toward the issue of her heart. And he says, you're right. And I want you to imagine this woman head down sheepishly, just just palms sweating and just wanting to get the water and go. And when Jesus says these words, she has to. There can be no other plausible reaction but just to open her eyes and almost take a step back as she says, Oh, I see. I see you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews, you, you claim that this place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus replied, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Jesus is not going to take her, her, her red herring there. He, he's going to keep on plunging. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for they are the kind of worshipers that the father seeks god is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth and jesus just dumped a whole lot of theology that's so far beyond her ability to understand or comprehend. He just says, listen, if if you want to discuss religion, let's talk about religion. First of all, I mean, he just unloads and the woman says, okay, all right, I don't get it. I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you. Am he. I love, I love that Jesus used a simple thing like her physical need for water to point to her. I mean, just in a conversation, he moves from water to physical H2O to the living water, which was the thing this woman most needed in her life in just a matter of sentences. And sometimes I'm frustrated about that with Jesus because I, I seem to not have that ability to, to, to precisely engage conversation like that. But, but if we can point to Jesus' as an example, he starts with the physical need. And he acknowledges that and then uses that as a springboard directly to the deeper need, the need of the heart. Jesus points her to living water. Now, this was not a new term. This is not something that John came up with or that Jesus came up with on the spot. He, of course, is a prophet. And maybe this woman would have understood this reference. Maybe not would have understood these Old Testament references. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, if you want to turn there. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, 
broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What a beautiful and powerful reference to the Old Testament. This is like the, this is like the living fulfillment. Here's a woman who's so thirsty, should drink the sand, and she is coming to a man who has water that she knows nothing about. She has broken, she has been living a life of broken cisterns that cannot hold water, and she needs to know the living water. The Old Testament prophets like Zechariah and Ezekiel predicted that living water would come out of Jerusalem. Jesus is saying something here. Whether or not she understands it fully, I don't know. Jesus tells her anyone who drinks the water that he offers her will never thirst again. He he does this again in John chapter 6, verse 35. He says, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. A lot of times after I preach, I have to go and just, I have this 32-ounce cup, and I just fill it full of water, and I just just gulp it down. Your body is continually throwing off water through sweat and through your, your, uh, your breath. Uh, your body needs water to live. It is impossible for the human body to go very long without being replenished with water. And yet people, spiritually, will go through their entire lives Without seeking the living water. And Jesus says, if, if you come to me, you don't have to be replenished anymore. John chapter 7, if you're following along, if you care to. Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, has rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this... He meant that the Spirit, whom those who had believed in, in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. See, it gets even better than that. Not only is Jesus the living water. Now, now, I, mean, I mean, you're making the connections now, I hope. But Jesus is the living water. By the way, we could probably advance that slide now. The, the, the living water starts with the water. And like when Terry Robinson was baptized a couple of weeks ago and she came up out of the water, she was wet on the outside, but she had the living water on the inside, which wasn't just Jesus, by the way. It's the Holy Spirit promised to us, in addition to the forgiveness of sins, the living water, the Holy Spirit of God in you. Now, that's something cool. That's something that, that, that prior believers in God had not had the ability to partake in. But what Jesus is offering to her and to us today is to receive the Spirit, the living water, not just from the outside, but from the in. Faith in Jesus is refreshing and satisfying and quenches our deepest thirst. And that living water will bring life to all that sin. But the cool thing is this. The living water is like a spring that keeps going. It's like you can go to Jacob's well today. If you've been buried with Christ in baptism and you have the, the, the spirit, the living water inside of you, you do not need to thirst. Now, now, there may be hard times in life, but you will be replenished from the inside with the living water of the Holy Spirit. How did this woman respond? Let's look. Verse 27. 
Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Because they learned by this time it probably wasn't good. I mean, Jesus knew what he was doing. Then, leaving her water jar, I just need to back up with that because we'll come back to it. But you need to point that out. Then, leaving her water jar, something Something transformational has just happened in this woman, and, and you, I'm not sure if you all get it. Do you, do you get what's happening within her? She went out there for water. She went out there for water, like Brent said, that was, and Jesus gave her water that was not from the well. And something happened in her, and imagining this broken cistern or whatever it was she was carrying to haul water, and it, she leaves it there. Obviously, she needed it, but there was something within her that was more important at that moment. And she was able to leave that behind and go after what Jesus had offered her. Her heart began to overflow, and her lips began overflowing. Let's continue reading. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Probably the first biblical reference to Chick-fil-A. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look to the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritan came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. A picture of, of, of that's on the screen is, is a picture of Samaritan garb. It's modern garb, but, but it's mostly white. What's interesting about that is Jesus is, is saying this as he's saying, open your eyes. Look, the fields are, are ready to be harvested, are white unto harvest. He's seeing this crowd of Samaritans that the woman, the, 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 the first missionary, has brought, because of a very simple testimony, this man told me everything I ever did. Jesus changed her, and and because he changed her heart, her lips began to overflow. Jesus changed this woman's purpose. 
She was worried about water. She was worried about what people would think. She, she starts her testimony with this. Yeah, yeah, verse 29. Come see a man. Now, you had to know those were not the words that she probably would have used before Jesus. But she was not worried about that now. She had this sort of reputation in town for, yeah, okay, we get that you know a few men. But Jesus is a different kind of man. And he changes her total perspective. This is a woman who wanted to be alone, who who wanted to avoid conversation. And she goes back into town and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And they're like, yeah, we know everything you ever did. Okay, but, but this is different. He gives me hope. He changed something from within her. And you know that because her the, the words of her mouth have changed. Jesus changed this woman's passion. Could this be the Christ? And Jesus, in the middle of that, has to change the rabbi's perspective. Um, the disciples were focused on food. Rabbi, eat. Jesus was focused on the Father. The food, you, the food I have, you know nothing about. Lift up your eyes. Look at the harvest. Look at it. It's right here. The woman focused on sharing Jesus. Many believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Here's the deal. Your mess, whatever it is, I talked with a lady tonight. She was telling me about some hard, hard things that she's been through. But she, how, how God's been able to use her mess and make it into a message of hope and comfort that only Jesus can provide. Your obstacles create an opportunity to glorify Christ. And your tests, every single one of them, can be a testimony about a man who knows everything you ever did and loves you just the same. Just as he loved her. You see, the world tries to put limits on the love of God. You and I have natural limits, things that are hard, people that are hard for us to love. Limits that we have self-imposed. Jesus had none of those limitations, but he used a woman's mess, a woman's obstacle, a woman's test to create a message, to create an opportunity, to create a, a testimony, which Jesus would use. So here's my takeaway for tonight. May you and I, I want to encourage you to do this. May you and I drink deeply. Uh, not, not from Jacob's Well. If you ever had the opportunity to go to Jacob's Well, I'm sure that would be a cool experience. But we have living waters within us if we are in Christ. May we draw deeply from him. May we drink deeply from his words. May his living water transform us. As God has used water every single time in the scriptures. And I beg you, if you are drinking water from broken cisterns, if sin has poisoned the well, you've got to let Jesus deal with that. You cannot quench the thirst yourself. The water is deep and you have nothing to draw with. You and I, like the woman, need Christ. We need the eternal well 
May we draw deep from the well of his word. May we be immersed in his presence in prayer and in worship. May we plunge into our relationship with him. May we seek him as one seeks water in a dry, weary land where there is little. May our lives be transformed by the living water welling up within. And may the fruit of that spirit be evident in our lives. Now, now in a Sunday night crowd, my assumption is the first four are probably already things you're engaging in. Drawing deep from the word, being immersed in prayer and worship, plunging into your relationship with him and being transformed by the spirit. So let me challenge you with number five, the one that we typically will struggle with, and it's so strange to me. But may your mouth overflow with Jesus. And I don't mean in an obnoxious, weird sort of Christian way. I mean, I hope that Jesus is a part of every conversation. Uh, if you can use a conversation with the register at the at the grocery store a conversation with a neighbor a conversation with a friend or a family member in the upcoming holiday and use whatever you're talking about to to make a beeline for jesus to go as quickly and as fast as you can to get to the words can i tell you about a man who changed everything How can we be in Christ and not overflow with the good news of the living water? Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Notice I did not say please invite everyone you know to church. I, I love having people come to church. Don't misunderstand. But... but, but <laughs> May we, may you and I be in the distribution business of the living water. May it pour out of us, be it at school, be it in, as we're retired, be it on the job. May we pour out living water. Because listen, if the water's not coming out of the well, something's grown stagnant in the heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The woman's heart was changed because of her testimony. My question is, has your heart been changed? Has it been transformed? Has your life been? If you do not know Jesus tonight, I invite you to know the living water. I want to tell you about a man who didn't just, who not only can tell you about everything you've ever done, but he can do something about it. And if you are in Christ, but you have not been professing Christ... Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to work on whatever heart issue it is that's keeping the waters from overflowing in your life. And Jesus is the living water. And may his people be about sharing the living water in a dry and thirsty land. If you have a need tonight to begin your journey with Christ or to return to Christ, we can pray with you and encourage you in any way. Meet me down front together as we stand and sing.